Hi. Hello. So we realized recently that this uh, we haven't podcast in a year. Let's not beat ourselves up about that. No, it's we should be year. gentle with ourselves. Let's we be gentle, Thomas. Yeah, gentle Thomas style. <laughs> um, we do it when it's striking us and shit. It's not. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been a, as most of you probably can concur, a weird fucking year. It's been a wild almost two years. Yeah, but we managed to make more podcasts in 2020 than 2021. Yeah, That's, I, 2021 was weirder in many ways than 2020. 2020 was novel and like, what's going on here? Yeah. Now it's just like, is this forever? <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. But we're going to try to do a little year in review in this podcast. Remember as much as we can from the vast wasteland of 2021. Yeah. It's like, I feel like we didn't, like nothing happened really, but stuff did happen. It's kind of nice to like, just <clears throat> plot back through and be like, oh yeah, that was cute. It's, we're we're surviving despite it all, little things, and we've grown as individuals through this and that. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. So, um, in that spirit, uh, we're gonna try to remember a few things. Um, so when we left off last year, I was looking, and it seems like we did a podcast right before we got uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. In on I think it was December seventh, twenty twenty one. 2020 2020 2020 yeah. um we got covid mine was asymptomatic yours was sniffly mine was <clears throat> excuse not me. sniffly not not too much sniffly yeah it was rather mild i guess as far as covid cases could go but i had a sore throat and then uh like a little bit of like taste or smell like loss it was like barely noticeable i wasn't like i was like is, is that it felt like Am I tripping or is this real kind of a thing? And we got tested and we tested positive. And you had also broke your foot that week or strained your I didn't, foot? I had like a really bad sprain in my foot and my wrist. From um, mountain biking. I had a, yeah, I had a big bike crash. Um, so that happened. That was or that was about a year, uh, over a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for this podcast, we decided we were like, we have things we could say about covid and the state of the world (laughs) and everything that sort of dominates the news cycles and in some ways our psyches this past two years but i think we're gonna steer clear of that for now for various reasons yeah mostly yeah Everything has it's, become super politicized, and we feel like we don't really have anything. It's just not something, yeah, we agree with or want to. We don't want to add, yeah, or just like add to the clamor. It's like let's just put it this way: like capitalism is killing us. COVID is an extension of that. Capitalism will continue yeah. to kill us, and until we dismantle those systems through probably bloody revolution, nothing's going to change. And you can say this, that, or the other. Mitigation effort will change things, but most likely nothing's going to change no. until the whole system gets burnt down. Like the glory or, days of 2020. <laughs> or our extinction. or yeah. Which will probably come first, yeah. I'm uh, afraid to say. It won't be the first time the human uh, population's been dwindled down to no. very small numbers. And that it'll probably happen again. We're, we're on uh, track. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed we are. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to go into it. Um, we thought about having a whole podcast about this subject, but I think we've just sort of settled on like, you know what? 
what did I say before we started this? Like, no one's really an expert on any of this. I mean, of course, they're like epidemiologists and, you know, uh, economists and people who can speak on those particular subjects related to COVID. But at the end of the day, we realize we are the experts only of our own experience. Mm -hmm. And we can't speak to this vast and complicated, entangled enmeshment of beings and pathogens and bacteria really and power and, and money power and money and <laughs> violence and love and care and community we can't it's just complicated so we're just going to talk about what we know which is our own experiences this year mm-hmm. it's something hopefully a little more lighthearted for your viewing pleasure listening <laughs> ear candy so one thing we're doing right this very minute that just kind of came up out of nowhere um, is working on a hippie hot tub. Fuck yeah. This is something Genevieve's wanted for a long time. Because so we I'm don't a bath have, lover. We don't have a bathtub in our spot. You didn't have one at the place you were living at when I no, met you, but right? I've No, but I've always had a bathtub <clears throat> in any of the rentals I've ever lived at. Um, and I kind of need, I don't need it, but like it's, it's a luxury, obviously clean bathing water. Hot water yeah. and a tub of hot, clean <laughs> could be drank, drank water yeah. to soak in. I mean, we have it very luxurious, obviously, here in the Imperial core. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is something that I really have wanted for a long time. We were walking around in the rain. It's been rainy this week in Los Angeles. Walking around in the rain a couple nights ago. And Tumba spotted a little clawfoot tub laying on the curb. Sweet, sweet cast iron. <laughs> and we actually had the opportunity to get one of these when we were on a little road trip like a year and a half ago a while ago that was like 2019 we were in carmel by the sea oh no that was in 2019 that was 2020 2020, but it was like early in lockdown it was one of the first little road trips we took out of town to just to get out of town um and someone had a a clawfoot on the curb outside their nice little house and she she carmel by the sea and i knocked on this person's door and we got to talking and he told me he liked my red hair so i could have the clawfoot hot must tub. be nice yeah that red that ginger privilege however you can get it i guess box die or or not so he told us we could have it but then you know we measured it or something we figured out that it wouldn't really fit in our car and it would be kind of a precarious did we i feel like we put it in the no we didn't didn't? oh we just kind of measured a hand measured it out we're like oh i don't think this is gonna fit this is gonna be we would have to drive with like the the trunk of our wagon in any case open we were so close then and the whole time i've been thinking about it like we (laughs) fucked up we didn't get that i know you were were secretly hating me because we didn't take it (laughs) just regretting but also knowing it was the right choice because clawfoot tubs are kind of expensive like you can find them on craigslist but they can cost like 500 dollars. they're kind of in demand we were walking around in the rain the other night and we saw one not a block away from our house just sitting there on the curb and we were like oh my god it was too wet and rainy it was kind of coming down at that time so yeah, we didn't it get it really then raining. but then the next day the rain let up i went yeah i, I walked i went by earlier in the morning so i get up a little earlier than genevieve and i was like okay sweet it's still there so we went and got it in our car we very treacherously uh, uh, brought it up into our yard. It's really heavy. And then, yeah, yesterday we started working on it. Flanned out a spot for it on our little hill that kind of overlooks the rest of the garden. And it is currently sitting on top of some cinder blocks on top of a beautiful little fire Tumba made. And I'm going to do a whole TikTok um, 
DIY how-to video <laughs> about it because, you know, I love that shit. Um, yeah, so... Uh, and then we're gonna tell go the people your TikTok in case they want to see. <laughs> it's gorgeous taps like across all platforms. Wow, <laughs> I like to keep it easy for us. Less I mean, the, well, I mean, if you want other some of the other stuff we did this year, I have a bunch of little like project TikToks on there, oh, yeah. places we've been, things we've done. Because I don't really post on Instagram anymore, but I do enjoy posting on TikTok. Smoking the deer hide, that was a fan favorite. Yeah, we Temba member. Last year in November, Temba shot his first deer. I think we talked about that. That was our yeah, last podcast. And then my dad ended up sending us the hide, and we did this whole process of dehairing and tanning and smoking and uh, oiling this deer hide, and it turned out okay. Okay, not a bad, <laughs> not a bad first try for neither of us. Have no. uh, having any experience doing it, we we're just kind of yeah figuring, figuring it out. It we out. didn't have all the tools that we needed, but we figured it out. We got to make something out of that. Yeah, we, we still, still have, have it, it, and it smells very smoky. It smells kind of w- weird, I would say, like wet deer plus smoke. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really cool process and really fun to figure out. And obviously, we've been home a lot more than usual, so these kind of projects, I don't know, are really good for my mental health. To just be off the internet. It's better than just, yeah, yeah, sitting down on the couch, on the computer, or on your phone. Watching Netflix like, or whatever. Yeah. Which has been a struggle this past year, and I guess that was one thing that was interesting, and uh, I think a good thing for me this year was I found a therapist who for nine months I was able to talk to and work through some old wounds and things until it was no longer viable for me to go to this therapist and you also saw someone for what, a few sessions oh it was more than a few <coughs> it was i would say it was probably like 10 ish somewhere up there oh yeah <clears throat> so that was an interesting part of the year too was just kind of having the ability to see a therapist because we're on medical because we we are could go to the doctor yeah wow. <laughs> it's that beautiful thing where like you have to be just poor enough to afford healthcare, you can't be making so much money that you get kicked off being poor or whatever, which is about to happen because we are working again. I will lose medical, so it's like yeah. you make enough money to pay your bills, but not enough. But not to enough to have healthcare. It's it's like I don't know how you can look at these two years and not see that like the real failing is the the lack of healthcare in this country. Yeah, the it's sy- abysmal. The systemic systemic lack of care in general and the absolute psychotic bureaucracy of getting what care you can here which is like i don't i can't even get into it and and it hasn't really even affected me that much because i am blessed to be you know healthy and very rarely need health care knock on wood that could change at any moment you Mm -hmm. know and when it does that's when you come into contact with how absolutely fucked those systems are Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it was nice to be able to see a therapist for a little while. Um, like I said, we were working again, which means you're making a little bit of money, which means you can no longer afford to have free health care. All right, no longer qualify. No longer qualify yeah. for free health care. I find health care to be like the what you do have to pay to generally be too much. But maybe I'll see once I get kicked off if I can pay a dollar a month or whatever figure out which income bracket I'm in. Yeah, they've been advertising that. I don't know how true it is. I yeah. haven't looked into it myself. We do have to either. look into we that. Um, <clears throat> but that was a nice part of the year. Um, 
so we talked about the hippie hot tub. What else has been new and interesting? I guess I talked about TikTok a little. We did go viral on TikTok, <laughs> which I think is really important for our listeners to know. Um, if they're into that sort major. of thing. Major. Um, yeah, so... Is it, uh, how many views did we have? Over a million views on one of our videos. Now well, I feel stupid talking sake, about it. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a moment where yeah there wasn't much you know there's not there wasn't always much to do or to live for. <laughs> Sorry to be depressing, <laughs> but that's kind of how it's felt this year. And so you know, country girls make do. And I made a little sacred sadism TikTok, and I expressly wanted to see if I could figure out how to go viral by kind of following different blog posts and things that I looked up about how you do that, what the best way to game the algorithm is. And I'm very good at social media. So. I'm, I figured it out. I mean, I, we uh, some of it is luck. There are people who are good at social media who That's cannot true. figure out TikTok. True. Um, but I did do a lot of research and in five days time, after posting three times a day for five days straight, we went viral on the fifth day. And I wrote a little blog post about it on my Substack, which I also started and then abandoned promptly <laughs> <laughs> at some point, trying to, you know, come up with things to fill the days. Um, but yeah, that was fun and interesting. And uh, I don't know, it's been, we haven't really done much with sacred sadism over these two years because no. it's been well, weird. We, well, we had some, a piece in... Oh, we had a piece, and true. you had a piece, right? Um, in a show in Berlin, in which October, was yeah, cool and exciting. After I, I mean, I feel like before pandemic, we had like a lot of momentum, kind of sure going into things, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, and I stopped, think, and then, and I think we kind of, I mean, at least for me, I kind of just came to this place where I was like, I don't want to force. I don't want to force creativity through all of this. No. I mean, I think it was good. And ulti- uh, I think ultimately the break that everything afforded us is good. Because it kind of, you know, that's that's just fucking life. Shit happens and yeah. you gotta, like, regroup, rethink. And-, and the idea that you're supposed to just, like, stay doing the same thing forever. This is, like, a thing on TikTok, you know, where, like... TikTok, you're supposed to find a niche and stay in that niche, and that's how you remain successful. And I really reject that way of thinking about art and thinking about creativity and thinking about the gifts that we have to bring into this world and thinking of them as these commodifiable, like, quality control products. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I think the art that I love and care about and prefer to make is messy and not always consistent and not always there, you know? So I think, like... If you're making art that's meant to make people look at their world differently, you're not always going to have the answers, you know? You're not always going to have something, like, neat and tidy to say about what's going on in the world or about what you think of the world or whatever, you know? And I think taking breaks to really take everything in and investigate areas you wouldn't investigate if you were constantly putting stuff out onto the feed, like, I don't know. These past two years have been amazing for me. I've been reading a lot. I feel like I've sharpened my principles, I've sharpened like what I believe in, what I, what I think the world could look like in, in my dream, a utopia that can never exist, but at least I could <laughs> dream it, you know? I don't know, I just think when you're constantly trying to make shit to be consumed by the, this passive 
Instagram scroll or you're not making art. You're just making content. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, TikTok is like that. But I thought it was, I thought it was kind of fun to just, like, try that and then be like, oh, that's interesting. And what? Next. <laughs> <laughs> this is just how I am, I guess. Um, yep, no, I think you're going to say something. Oh, uh, I was thinking uh, what else <coughs> What else was in... Our sacred cities in the news. Oh, we almost we almost did a performance for the first time in a while. Yes. That was that was like I feel we we didn't do it, but Yeah, we were asked to it, do a performance for this uh art fair event. Um and uh it was a little like chaotic, we'll say, the organization yeah. of it all in such a way that we decided this was probably not gonna be the best time for us to step back out into public and throw our heart and soul into something that maybe Where wasn't going to have the support we needed. Yeah, don't feel supported. I think that was good, though, to kind of, like, reaffirm, like, hey, when we do things, we want, this is, this is kind of, like, where we want to be met by yeah, yeah. whatever organization or thing it is. And, like, it's never, I don't know, it's not, the money, I don't think, is really that important to us. It's more about, uh... Feeling supported and feeling like um, this is a good space to express what we want to express. Um, And we had that experience with the show in Berlin, which was really... Yeah. You know, we were sending pieces to Berlin, you know, never met the curators in person. We're doing it all over email, but it still felt like, cool, these people really get what we're about. The show was in alignment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not not that everything else has to be, like... The perfect. same, yeah, same wavelength. It's just more, yeah, it's more about the people just being on top of their shit. Yeah. And so, but we did, we did plan this really cool performance for this event that we eventually pulled out of. And we're really excited to do it eventually. Because mm-hmm. I think some of, we were really trying to think of like, you know, we can always do the same shit we've done. We can do human floral bouquet. We can do an eco fetish scene. We can do some kind of vac bed thing. But I think we're both the kind of people who really strive for novel experiences and for learning about ourselves and about this project, you know, through new um, experiments. You know, I get bored really easily with my own art. um, And I think you're the same way. Like, we both want to strive to try new things, right? Yeah, definitely. So we came up with... Actually, this performance came to me in my sleep. So that's how you know... That's how you know it's a good one is when it comes from... When you get those dream answers. My deep subconscious had been working on it and it just came like a flash. This sort of puppy play domestication scene um, involving impossible meat... (laughs) <laughs> and like ironing out this impossible meat to cook it uh, and I'm not going to give away the whole thing because we're hoping to do it eventually when the time is right um, maybe when oh, we're th- doing it when things start <laughs> opening up again when the world maybe will uh, if the world ever feels a little <laughs> less fucking constrained um, yeah we're excited to do that and I ended up learning how to um, make leather like a leather puppy mask and tool leather and all this stuff and i don't know it's incredible this this is the shit i love this person made a full ass uh leather puppy mask tooled Tooled. as well like first try like here it is i'm looking at it It right now (laughs) yeah but this was gonna be a really cool performance too and i hope we get to do it there's a a bunch of stuff the the theme of this event when they first approached us to be a part of it, they said, oh, it's going to be, like, raw meat, 
fruit leather, smoke, and flowers. Mm-hmm. And you'd be perfect for it. And we were just thinking about those materials and we're like, oh, this is such a good opportunity for us to get to talk further about something that's really like imperative to the Sacred Sadism Project where people always assume when they see us that we're a vegan company. And we say <laughs> this very explicitly on our website. We're not vegan. Or that we are vegan personally. Too. Yeah, that we're vegan or our products are vegan or because there's this like green eco, you know, the word eco always means not ecology to people, but it's like a shorthand for greenwashing whether people realize it or not. So they hear that eco-fetishism and they think, oh my God, you guys are like sustainable and green and vegan. (laughs) And like, we just really reject all that shit. It's not what it's about. (laughs) Even though we're making a hippie hot tub, we're not hippies like that. (laughs) We're still burning wood to heat it. uh. We're releasing carbon into the atmosphere (laughs) as we speak. Um, Yeah, so we wanted to do this whole piece that sort of laid out that... um, that portion of our project where we're really rejecting the greenwashing aspects of eco or green seeming businesses or art projects. And um, I've been reading this book called A People's Green New Deal by Max Agi. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, Which is really a critique of these kind of social democrat um, AOC type folks um kept basically capitalist solutions to the capitalist problem of global warming yeah i mean yeah (coughs) no go ahead it's bullshit right yeah um basically that it's bullshit you green capitalism green capital yes exactly there's nothing sustainable about it continue to make the rich extremely rich it will continue to uh mine and pillage the global south of their rare earth minerals, lithium, cobalt, etc., to give us in the Imperial core our cool little doodads and gadgets and our electric cars that make us feel like we're making a difference, but really there will always be people who are um, at the, you know, killed basically at the whims of capital in the Imperial core. Yeah, and continue to poison and uh, destroy the environment. Yeah. And a big part of this book, at least where I am now, talks about this move towards compulsory veganism, which I know you have feelings about because <laughs> you are one of the first people I've ever met who really has a understanding of veganism, I think, outside of this sort of moralistic, I'm doing my part thing that some vegans, not all vegans, that some vegans seem to approach it from. Yeah, or, or you mean kind of like the ideology? Yeah, the ideology, and I, I think increasingly there are people who are like, well, I'm vegan, to, you know, because I'm doing my part to leave a smaller carbon footprint. Oh, yeah. Which this book is kind of talking about how, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's a complicated issue, but how, like, moving towards that, and it is kind of similar to COVID response, too, this idea of, like, oh, your individual choices are what's going to make a big difference, and that is just a lie. No. It's, it's a lie that... It, industry is the number one polluter, the number one... Right. Like, it's, it's right. not you having a little... Having an impossible burger. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I think we wanted to, in this performance, I, I was thinking about Impossible Meat and all these ideas of compulsory veganism and lab-made meat and lab-made everything being this like, oh, well, here's what we'll do to end, you know, global warming. We'll create even bigger industries. It's like <laughs> industrial, it, it, we're going to industrialize away 
the pollution of industrialism like it doesn't yeah you, uh, you can't you can't science well I don't know if, it's, if that's a great way. It's like you can't science your way out of it. Maybe. But. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It, it's like, um, it's also something that erases the reality of people in, uh, what does this person use? They, they use the word the periphery. The imperial core, rather than saying, you know, east, west, not east, west, um, global, sort, global south, global north. He talks about the periphery and the imperial core because the mm. imperial core includes New Zealand and Australia, even though they're technically in the global south, you yeah. know, um, colonizer states, basically. Um, the imperial core and the periphery, people in the periphery who are not the people who are the vast contributors to the kind of uh, global warming metrics that are out there, you know, it's, it's the the corporations and industries of the imperial core that are the vast output of this uh, carbon emission, carbon emission, methane emission, carbon, carbon, methane, yeah. methane. Emissions. Emission, let's just call it emissions. Um, but that these kind of like policies, things like compulsory veganism end up still always hurting those in the periphery, people who rely on maybe their small cattle ranch yeah if there's a move towards a sort of moralistic imperative to be vegan where you're not recognizing that there are people who are actually living like in ecological harmony with their surroundings and it has nothing to do with meat it has to do with agriculture and the industrialization of agriculture yeah it's It's just not it and and it worries me because i think like we've seen these past two years the moralization of individual behavior in that way where it's, um, you know, saying like, you know, this kind of, I don't know. It's not meat. That's the problem. You know, it's the way, the way it, meat is accessed it's the way. Yeah. The, it's the way our entire like <coughs> agricultural industry is set up. It's, it's not just meat. It's, it's fucking plants too. It's, of course I understand people who are like, I don't, you know, they have a, bad feelings about eating other living beings I, everything you eat is a fucking alive that's i mean and i know that that's like like i've said like you've kind of honed in on this like yeah i don't know that oh that stance always like yeah, boggles my mind like just because it doesn't have eyes doesn't mean it doesn't feel pain doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's any less alive like this fucking hierarchy of living be- beings that you have to set up for that argument to exist mm-hmm. is like is ridiculous mm-hmm. And, and like we've always said, I think we've said this in other interviews we've done and stuff too, is it really, it's like the hierarchy of living beings somehow doesn't include the people who are farming those things for you. Yeah. The people who are, yeah, be, you know, breaking their fucking backs to grow your Brussels sprouts. Like somehow we don't care about those pe- beings with two eyes. Yeah. We just forget about that. It's like as long as you can get your fucking whole food strawberries all year round, you're good. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of stuff there, and, and I I personally am finding it really interesting to be sort of hearing critiques of these green capitalism ideas while we sort of hurdle towards the inevitability of the green capitalist <laughs> quote solutions that will become a part of our life and that might end up moralizing the choices we make as beings to sustain our life through food, you know, and I think that stuff is really interesting. <laughs> scary 
but interesting and we wanted to create this piece that touched on that and I think the puppy play part of it was going to be an interesting counterpoint about kind of like the domestication domestication Mm -hmm. that's how you say it of human beings you know and like mm, the various kind of um, adjustments we make to live in this the society civilized (laughs) society scare quotes yeah yeah i guess we'll just leave it at that because it's it's art i don't want to eat speed you don't always need to spell out (laughs) everything about it but hopefully we get a chance to make that performance eventually because i definitely feel like it's a passionate undergirding of some of this project you know that we both feel really is really important to bring to the table and so much more than naked people and plants, as some, <laughs> you know, as, as some of the work gets reduced down to over time. Um, so what else do we have? We have that. Um, we had a couple months in the summer where we were exploring a new way of uh, experiencing uh, non-monogamy together. Yeah. Is that a good way to say it? <laughs> I guess so. I'll let you take it. Me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about. Well, we'll just say that, and that was I. I don't know. A good three or oh. four, three or four months of kind of testing some limits of yeah some of the limits of our non non monogamous uh, aspirations and desires, and seeing what worked for us and what didn't. Yeah, it was definitely I think a pretty big learning experience. Yeah. Because it's I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where you can read about it mm. and talk theorize about it, it. And theorize, but like until you're actually doing it, it's kind of all very like Amorphous. sounds really good and yeah. everything, but um, yeah, coming up against those like what your boundaries are or what triggers you mm. or you know. Because you never really fucking know what's going to... No, <laughs> that's what I learned. ...feel okay or not okay until you, like, kind of get in there and get muddy a little bit. Um, and even figuring out, like, what styles, like, we aspire to, that was really helpful for me. Yeah. I feel like I learned, like, I really aspire towards a relationship anarchy style of non-monogamy. But in practice, do I have all the tools I need to, like, meet my aspirations, Mm -hmm. not yet, you know? And I think it's okay to be realistic about that and be like, that's my goal, and I would like to spiritually, psychologically get there, Yeah. you know, together and through my other relationships, but right now I'm still working on some of the stuff that's under... It's, uh, it underlies my ability to find security in relationship, and that's, I think, like, a really big component of you know going through that process of learning about non-monogamy is learning what makes you feel secure and how can you be secure in yourself and mm-hmm. in your relationships and i think that's a really great learning process yeah i think i think that's really important to because i think a lot of people think oh i'll just jump into you know whatever form it is but i i think that it's okay to go slow like you it's you're kind of like that's really coming up against a lot of things that have been deeply ingrained in yeah. most people um and to be you know kind and gentle 
with yourself if it's not if it doesn't look like what the ideal is yeah. or um yeah totally what you're hoping or what you for, read about you yeah know, you read it should be like this so if it's not like this you must have fucked up somehow. It, yeah you're failing somehow yeah. but uh, i mean i think even just to even just to experiment or try like the smallest thing is incredibly brave and kind of you know like even if you end up not finding out that it may be that style of relationship is not for you but the fact that you like tested mm -hmm. it out just to see like okay what is this what is how does it make me feel what is it like mm -hmm. in practice like mm -hmm. i think that's good to like if you have that curiosity not saying like you should do this if it's not something right. that interests you <laughs> but yeah just to to try i think is kind of I don't know if revolutionary is the right word. That might be a little strong, but... Um, I do tend to think of... Uh, I do tend to think of non-monogamy as revolutionary, you know? Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's a... It's a skewing... A skewing of... A skewing of normative relationship styles, which can be an act of, like, you know, decolonizing your idea of love or unsettling your idea of, like, love and relation and these things that kind of were forged through the violence of imperialism and Christianity, you know, and I think there is something revolutionary about those mm -hmm. small steps taken internally to try to break down what some of that is within you and how you've been conditioned to believe relationship is supposed to look, even though there's a myriad of ways relationship can and does look, you know? Yeah. So I'm really proud of us for doing that, and I think we'll continue to explore and experiment with it as time goes on, and we meet people that we want to do that with. And yeah. Yeah, I think it was really very difficult, I would say, but very worthwhile journey for us to learn more about each other, our relationship, the, the people who are involved, you know, just to be um, constantly trying to grow. Yeah. As best we can in our <laughs> imperfect human ways, you know. And then uh, I think another thing that, uh, it's not really an extension of that, but it is in some ways too, was I decided somewhere last year um, to really apply myself to um, professionalizing an approach to pro-domination that I've wanted to do for many, many years, and I've kind of dipped in and out of pro-dom work and various other types of sex work dipped my toe in dipped it out mostly for survival means at various times but i really decided this is something that's really important to me to learn about myself it's an extension i don't i don't want to say it's an extension of non-monogamy but in some ways it is because it's recognizing in myself that this need to to be dominant in BDSM is really strong for me and it's a way of sort of getting to explore that um, in a way that I want to which is not so much with um, tertiary that's the wrong word but other partners in our mm. relationship as it is through a client practitioner relationship is what appeals to me the most as a, as yeah. a dominant is to do it professionally um, <coughs> so I started working on that in like June, May, maybe in May. I started making my website and you helped me immensely, obviously with all of the photos and everything. I like taking pictures. Yeah, all of these <laughs> photo shoots that we did. And I think we even did, you know, some negotiation about what that would be like. Um, me 
putting out a professional pro-dom thing uh, with your help, but without naming you in that collaboration. And that was kind of a negotiation we had to talk about a little bit too Mm -hmm. in terms of this like weird boundaries when you're a pro-dom about like how much you really show of your life and what you, you don't for safety reasons, for marketing reasons. There's just kind of like, you know, some things that I do differently as this pro-dom persona than I would as Genevieve, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a lot to consider there. Yeah. And it's been a journey, because, like, at this point now, I'm I'm sort of pulled back from it. I did do my first play party. How was that? As a solo pro-dom. Um, it was interesting. Obviously, I haven't been out very much in the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, you know, there's that, that layer of, like, it's shocking to be around people. It was a masked event. It was, um, and for that reason, was kind of difficult because I was trying to negotiate with people on the fly. I was doing rose flagellation. Yeah, and you can't really read, like, facial cues. It's harder to read facial cues. Um, and, you know, it's already really important to be super tuned in as a top to to watching how someone's reacting to be able to pick up on nonverbal cues yeah about what they're experiencing and that was um sort of difficult but um all all in all it was really nice to just uh receive people receiving uh what i had to offer as a dom Mm mm-hmm and people were really into the rose flagellation. Who people who hadn't experienced it before, kind of had this similar experience that we have a lot when we do sacred sadism, where people are like, "Oh my god, I had no idea." And <laughs> somebody was like, "You know, I don't, I don't connect with tools, any BDSM tools, but I connect with these roses. You know, that kind of thing that we've experienced so much, where people are like, "I've always wanted to do BDSM, but like." And just can't get into it, you know? Yeah. So I had some of those experiences. And I think also the thing that really occurred to me is it was uh, very, like, femme, I guess. <laughs> that word, see, I don't know how to use that word. But I think it's <laughs> a very femme-centric party. Um, so it was mostly, um, I don't even know if this is right to say femmes. I think it was mostly femmes who I was. Femme appearing? Yeah, I'm femme-assumed. Femme-assumed. I don't know. <clears throat> um people who appeared to me to be femmes or people who identified as femmes and yeah um uh who were receiving these rose flagellations i was giving and it really occurred to me that there is something you know to the type of bdsm i've been exploring for almost eight years now is like it seems like it really appeals to femmes more than more like mask people and that Mm -hmm. i know those are very like I feel so... Grain of salt. I don't know how to use those terms right. Um, I know that they're not saying exactly what I mean for them to say when I use those words, so I don't even know. But it does seem like people who are drawn to this plant-inspired BDSM tend to be more friends than mask people. And I'm noticing this in my pro-domination work, too, is like the... I'm not saying there aren't 
men or masculine people who approach me, but I do feel like I get a lot more support and interest from women or femmes, you know? So mm-hmm. I think there's something really interesting there, and I don't think it's just flowers, because flowers are feminine <laughs> kind of thing. I think it's something else, and I haven't, I still don't totally understand it, you know? Yeah. And that's why I came out of the party. I was like, this is so interesting, like whatever this thing is that I picked up on that needed to come into the world so many years ago still seems to be resonating with people resonating with people and resonating with like particular people Mm -hmm. you know um and I'm still trying to figure out how that works with my prodom stuff too is like maybe I'm marketing to the wrong people you know maybe I need to be recognizing that like people who want to get flogged by roses aren't like white buttoned up billionaires you know or whatever (laughs) millionaires you know rich businessmen maybe i need to be more aware of like who this really resonates with Mm -hmm. for whatever reason you know so yeah that was fun um what else what else what else we've been thinking a lot about where we want to go yeah we I mean, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but yeah, we really want to leave LA. Leave LA. We I mean, ideally to another country. Yeah. But yeah, we don't know. This has been a good spot for now for the time we've been here. And now we have a hippie Now we have a hippie hot tub. But <clears throat> yeah, I don't think I don't Especially this year. It's like, yeah. there's, it's so, res- <clears throat> it's so restricted. Like every once in a while we'll go out of town to like a smaller mountain town and be like, wait, that's right. Not everywhere is like LA. Um, not everywhere is so kind of restricted and right. And for the past two years shut down really. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, it's kind of hard to live in a major city where the reason you live in a major city is to be able to go out and do things meet people, live a vibrant social life, whatever, you know? I mean, there's a variety of reasons, but that's why I enjoy living in big cities. And to live for two years without that, without as many of those opportunities, with so much stuff being, like, closed down and restricted and whatever, you know? It's been hard to feel like there's any reason to live in a big city. Yeah, it's like, you're paying a lot of money... For none of the benefits. <laughs> I mean, we have a cool yard, but we could have a cool yard in, like, a rural place, too. Yeah, or, yeah, just a smaller town or city. Yeah, so we've been talking about this a lot. Last year when we went back to Minnesota, I'm sure we talked about this on the last podcast. We were, you know, thinking about, oh, do we want to move to Minneapolis? I don't know. That hasn't really resonated with us as much. No. But can't stay here forever no the air quality don't want to stay here i mean yeah global warming and everything water it's just getting hotter and hotter here yeah we'll go somewhere with more water we need to go north yesterday we were eating a burger and i was like why don't we just go to alaska (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's like i don't know we've talked about yeah going to europe has been on our mind um i mean i'm just worried about i'm i'm little worried about living in cities um if if this waves of pandemic continue to happen whether it's covid or whatever the next one is or whether it becomes rolling shutdowns because of various climate catastrophes like i'm worried about the kind of authoritarian approach to 
controlling these crises, and it seems like cities are where that that approach is going to be most prevalent, you know? Yeah. Wherever there are large, dense populations. populations. Yeah, so I don't know. It's like, I think we have to, like, figure out if we're ready to just go be woods people or what. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we necessarily... <laughs> Just because we moved to a smaller city or something, that means we're locked there either. Like, that could be a jumping... Especially if it's we're going somewhere completely new, like another country. Mm. That could be a jumping off point till finding somewhere else that we like, you know. Yeah. So I think, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just in my head. I think finding, like, a smaller community that um, resonates with us is uh, a little maybe a little more a little more difficult to nail down not in a city yeah without without actually like being able to go visit the spot or something like that because you could just blindly move to a little place and be like oh shit no (laughs) this is not (laughs) I think it has something to do too with like what we prioritize psychologically we decide this is what we're going to prioritize where we go next yeah we're going to prioritize having community yeah or we decide we're going to prioritize like living in whatever harmony we can with our surroundings whether there are people we like really like a lot around or not like yeah it's about what we decide to prioritize in our next phase of life recognizing it won't necessarily be like that forever yeah and I, I don't know how you feel, but I don't necessarily feel like the next place we go has to be a forever spot no, either. No. But I mean, if we decide to move to Europe and then are like, decide to move back to America, that's a big expense, you know? Yeah. So I mean, that might happen, though, too. It could happen. <laughs> we, we, might we don't get, know. We, don't we might know. be very excited about something, and then when we get there, like, a couple of years in, yeah. it could change, or yeah. maybe we're just like, hey, this is not... Or, uh, for some reason, we might have to come back, <coughs> too. Yeah, you never know. <clears throat> but... But we're know. always I'm thinking op- about that. Yeah, I'm open to possibilities. We talked about Berlin, um... Spain seems cool. Spain seems cool. I don't speak Spanish. We should go somewhere. Where some you speak some Spanish. Oh, I don't. No, I don't. Spanish is so it's easy to, to learn. You, to you, I don't speak any other languages. Um. Uh. What else? We've been thinking about Scandinavia too. Yeah. Um. Oh my God! Yeah, there was that. We had applied for this festival in Norway we talk about how sad that is this is just one of our our fail sad moments we didn't fail they failed <laughs> we applied for this like festival in Norway that according to the website is pretty much literally about eco-fetishism yeah it's, it's very like liter- closely aligned with what the, we do the description of it is very very closely aligned with what we do not saying they know who we are or they wrote it with like knowing <laughs> anything about us because these things just travel you know what i mean that's memes that's the internet that's life like things that are popular travel around ideas and, circulate yeah. yeah and they get divorced sometimes from their origins not that we're the only origins of eco-fetishism or anything like that there's other people working in similar ways let's say but anyway we applied and we were like there's no way there's no way we can't <laughs> we can't get in this thing is like about our work and we didn't get in 
And yeah, that was disappointing. Now I have to say fuck Norway. Oh well. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, that was disappointing. We were looking forward to maybe getting accepted to this festival and getting to go visit Norway together and make work together. And, yeah. You know, but whatever. I apply to a lot of things for us and we don't get any of them. What's new? I feel like I don't know how to apply or something. It's just like, you know, it's auditioning. It is. You're right. You I'm get, not good at that. You get a lot of no's. <laughs> you get a lot of no's. That is true. But, yeah, if you know of a cool spot. Send us there. Let us know. And we'll look into it. I don't know. Maybe people that have the cool spots are like, we're not telling anybody because that's how we keep it cool. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Well, how long have we been recording? Is it about uh, like time? 45, 50 minutes. Yeah, we could. We should. We could end this because I gotta go. We, we gotta, gotta go, go check, check on our tub. hot tub. It's raining out. It's getting dark. We're gonna get in that hot water in the rain. In the dark. It's gonna be nice. <laughs> and hopefully rain. not burn our butts. Hopefully not burn our butts. Babe. Yeah. Um. So thanks for bearing with us after a long year of whatever. Yeah. We thank, did. We appreciate your time. Hopefully it was entertaining. Yeah. And some degree. To some degree. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all for now. Take care. Take care. Hope you have a good and happy new year. And yes. we'll see you probably sometime. Twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or wanna yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K. Halitosis, cosmic halitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am Gorgeous Taps, and Temba is Tembizzle, T E M B I Z Z L E. Thanks for listening.